Well, now time at 10.30 to introduce the man of the moment, always on a Wednesday night. Well, he shares it with Hayden Donnell, of course. It is Colin Peacock. G'day, Colin. Hi, Mark. How are you going? I'm going well. And a big weekend of sport. Now, I did start the uh, evening by saying, surprise, surprise, I said, oh, there'll be talk of the election. And then I had a look at your list of subjects, and it's all about sport, for goodness sake. That's good. Well, it is at the top. I thought we might get to the election a little bit later, but I'm trying to give people a bit of a break, because, you know, as we've been saying, I think the media bear part of the blame for this going too early um, it feels like you know election day would be almost upon us with the, yeah. the vibe and the sort of cumulative effort that everyone's been putting in and all the drip fed policies and all that stuff not all the media's fault of course but yeah, yeah to think we're still all, all these weeks away yes, <laughs> so yeah I've, I've put it down the order uh, a big weekend in sport, things. so we're going to talk sport, New Zealand sport, and uh, yeah, as you say, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a particularly successful one, was it? I was an extremely successful one for anybody playing uh, a New Zealand side <laughs> in international competition. So to recap, for anyone who wasn't keeping score, the All Blacks lost their first ever. Uh, Rugby World Cup pool game on Saturday morning. Then later in the day, the Warriors lost their first um, finals match against uh, the Panthers. Um, Israel Adesanya dethroned. He's a middleweight, isn't he, in the UFC? I don't follow that all that closely, but he lost. Yeah, and then Sunday night, um, the Black Caps went and lost to England by about 80 runs, uh, just under. So that's clearly not close. And the fact, I guess it was a shortened one-day international as well means uh, not good. So particularly tough one also, uh, not just for fans, but Sky TV. They'd hyped it as a a big weekend of sport. And on Monday um, morning, they put out a statement about the viewing figures because they obviously like to trumpet those when they get a good audience. But they tried to put a bit of a brave face on it. It it was an incredible weekend of sport viewing with the All Blacks (laughs) opening World Cup match, the Warriors, and so much more. While the results didn't necessarily fall in our favour, which is one way of putting it, that didn't deter New Zealanders watching across Sky, Sky Open, which is the new name of uh, Prime TV, and Sky Sport Now. So you have to be a bit careful how you phrase these things. So one way of reading that is like, yeah, thanks for tuning in. Sorry, you know, it was it was miserable all the way through if you're a patriotic sports fan, but, you know, we got the numbers, so good for us. Yeah, you bunch of losers. Mm, yeah, but I don't think that's what they meant. No, I'm sure not. I'm sure not. And I don't think there's any doubt that we'll be watching the next Warriors game and the next All Blacks game and the next Black Caps game for that matter as well. But I guess the All Blacks defeat uh, was the biggest story for the weekend uh, from a, a media point of view. Yeah, for sure. That first ever pool defeat, uh, first match in the World Cup, obviously keenly anticipated and the one that kicked off the in, uh, entire tournament. So, yes, big, big deal. But and a wa- big, you know, Colin, just, you know, in the All Blacks' defence, um, you know, they're taking on France, who've been pipped at the post a number of times, uh, to, thanks to New Zealand in one instance anyway, mm. by one point. It's their home tournament uh, in Paris with all their fans, Um they're not going to lose that game, you know. I, I, you know. They just would have had too much passion. It would have been a travesty if they had, I think. Yeah, well, I think it certainly it just upped the stakes for yeah. everything, you know, because we last spoke, um, or the last time, the, the, the All Blacks had just had that record ever defeat yes. against the Springboks last time we spoke on, on Midweek Media Watch. And uh, that was obviously just a warm-up match, so maybe that explains how the vibe was a bit different. But the commentary team and the Sky Studio, they were almost kind of laughing about it. Even mm. Jeff Wilson kind of throwing his hands there. Carlton Arnold was kind of laughing yeah. uh, but I guess nothing on the line there And but this time uh, weirdly I thought it would be a much more serious sort of vibe and a lot yeah. more kind of worry uh, albeit that it's not uh, it's not an elimination or anything like that in the, in the first match but but you know, I, I definitely I wondered how you know some of those old school 
diehard fans among the Sky subscribers, you know, might have felt um, because there were a lot of jokes about the Warriors. You know, oh, the mm. Warriors can rescue a weekend. People shouting out, you know, up the wires <laughs> and all that stuff. I think there might have been some of the more old school ones at home not all that happy about it because I seem to remember not. I don't follow rugby that closely, but. All back matches that went the wrong way in the years gone by, they had grumpy old Murray Deeker and people like that in the studios. And, you know, they were looking in the post-mortem to find out whose socks really needed to be pulled up, finding yeah. scapegoats for things. It was all very serious. And I always remember uh, uh, Terry Wogan. Remember Terry Wogan, the wonderful BBC broadcaster? I was uh, I went to that match in 2007 at Cardiff where the All Blacks lost to, to France. Oh, you were there? I was there. Ooh. And I remember the next day driving back in, uh, in complete depression, of course, as we all were, and Terry Wogan's gag was, ah, New Zealand, the land of the long black cloud. <laughs> well, when the, I think the Irish beat uh, New Zealand the first time, I remember listening to an Irish sports podcast I quite like, and they played a mashup of Irish commentary, and there was, there was I think, the RTE commentator on the final whistle who said, and whatever the score was, and he said, oh, New Zealand belongs to Ireland. That is a, a bold call. But I was watching um, after the France won that first match yes. in the weekend, I watched for some reason on the Sky website a documentary I didn't know existed it was called uh, 2011 The Weight of a Nation and it was all about how Graham Henry and mm-hmm. Steve Hansen and that squad lost in that match that you attended that mm-hmm. fateful game in 2007 so, then got reappointed unexpectedly yes. and had to go through this four year thing mm-hmm. and then Graham Henry is talking about as that that tense match it was well, they won by a point and that was 8-7 in the end mm, the yes. 2011 final and he's saying look one bounce of the ball this could all go wrong we could lose again this is going through his mind as the game mm. is, is ticking down and he says I remember thinking um, if this happens again like 2 207, uh, you know can I stay in the country <laughs> He yeah. said, can Ray, Wynn, can Ray Wynn take this, his, his wife? Yeah. He said, well, can, can we even stay in the-? He was literally thinking, mm-hmm. as the match was in progress, if this goes the wrong way, I'm going to have to go and find somewhere else to live. Mm-hmm. So it's all a bit much. But while we're picking on the current commentary yep. team, if I can, there's one bit of commentary that people seized on, which I was kind of surprised to hear. So it's just before half time in the match on Saturday. And it really, really did not date well. The All Blacks has for each outfit. They're really fatigued. They're out on their feet, Mills. They're out on their feet. Yeah, understand. The All Blacks have continued to push. Clear gun. Great work through the middle on the edges, but they're starting to battle. Watch the All Blacks get up here and compete. Now, I think that's um, the voice of Jeff Wilson, who yes. was sidelined. I think it's Mills Millionaire in the commentary box he's talked to. Both of them saying, yeah, they're out on their feet there. The French, that is. Yeah, the French. And yes. this is as the All Blacks were, yeah. were pressing for a try. I think it was where Cody Taylor biffed it out um, accidentally straight into touch, and that was that. But they were pretty confident that going to time, the All Blacks were on top. The French were out on their feet. But yeah. don't know about you, but after um, a little rest at half time and a little slice of orange. Yeah. Uh, the French look pretty good to me. Yeah, they might add a perno or two or something just to set them up. Uh, pastis. Yeah, probably not these days, but yeah, it, they they were they were fine. Yeah, yes, but they did uh, they did look on top at that point. But then again, similar to twenty oh seven, where they were they were well, not well in front, but they had a reasonable lead at half time, and then it all turned to custard. Yeah, which they the they seem to have forgotten in the Sky yeah. commentary box. So, I think they took their lead from what Jeff Wilson said there. Mm. And after the match, after they switched back to the studio, uh, this is how um, in the studio Laura McGoldrick, the anchor, and Israel Dag uh, picked up when it was all over. 
a man who's never lost a game to France, Israel Dag. Um, I'd love your initial thoughts on that because holy, I did not see that coming. Certainly not after the, that first half. Even at halftime, I, I had the confidence. I thought, you know, our, our fitness would see us through, but a lot of errors. Oh, where do we start, honey? Um, <laughs> that second half was just totally opposite to what we put in in the first half. So, but like you were saying, Mark, there in 2007, as you were there to witness it, mm. the French came roaring back in that second half, gambled. I mean, in this one, it was more controlled than that, as a lot of the commentators, the pundits, who know far more than me, were saying it. It seemed mm. like they played almost the All Blacks game, you know, keep yeah. it tight, overwhelm teams as it gets towards the, the late stage. Uh, so I'm just kind of amazed that the Sky team would be sitting there going, oh, didn't think that was going to happen, when yeah. history and you know recent form would tell you that was, at the very least, a distinct possibility. So, mm. yeah, I think they might have sold their viewers uh, a bit short there, and I'm sure there were people not happy at all with that yeah. uh, level of uh, analysis um, who were watching on TV. I must say, though, I think Laura McGoldrick has done a great job. She's brought a real freshness to the presentation at Sky with her uh, you know, coverage and uh, hosting of uh, the studio element of the show. So, yeah, and actually, so, having said that, um, it is also in tune with um, other other coverage of things like football, which I follow more closely. Mm. So they had also for that match the other um, in studio guest was um, Honey Hirame Smiler mm. from the Ferns. So uh, yeah, d- definitely a, um, more women on the commentary team. That's something that's been mirrored by yeah, British football coverage and mm. across Europe. Perhaps not in Spain and Spanish football. Who seems to have uh, <laughs> issues with that at the admin and on yeah. TV. It's and been resolved now, though. <laughs> uh, part, well, well, we'll see. We'll but to go there. But it is interesting, and that indeed is a change that you can see on, on mm. your screen as part of modern sport. So Sky said they were happy with the ratings of that game. Broadcasters need good results, of course, to keep the audiences coming back through the big tournaments. Yeah, and I think the classic of this one is uh, two World Cups ago. England hosted it in 2015. They got knocked out in the pool play uh, by Wales which I think their, ne- their neighbour which made it a bit more gruesome for the fans but for the commercial network ITV they invested a lot uh, for them to put it on on prime time uh, on their channels cost them uh, you know the opportunity cost of not screening other you know highly commercial stuff they really suffered from England um, being knocked out of that and you know here it's also interesting because Sky Open we mentioned as the new name of Sky TV because of course Sky prime. owns what was Prime mm. and they have putting quite a few games on live and free to air from the tournament. They did it with the FIFA Women's World Cup as well recently and the uh, Men's FIFA World Cup which was the the year before um, the one in uh, Qatar. And it's a, it's a big step for them to do this. It must be a fine balance because you want people to subscribe and pay, but you know having that online channel is a bit of a um, shop window for it as well. Mm. Um, also means you're doing a good thing for the public. So you know it kind of staves off uh, you know any kind of regulatory impulse for the for the government criticism that they're you know hogging the rights or enjoying a bit of a sport monopoly stuff like that. Mm. Fine calculation, but them and also the original content they've made the programs about the World Cup and so yeah. on. They're putting those on. So interesting to see that shift to put a bit more on free-to-air TV for non-subscribers than they would have in the past. And looking at that extra programming, what, what have they done for the World Cup? Haven't watched it all, but one that did uh, did take a look, it was Lost in France. This is a series where ex-All Blacks kind of tour the country and bump into people. Uh, well, it looks kind of spontaneous, obviously. <laughs> it isn't. I didn't have high hopes for it when I... I read a stuff review of uh, one of the first episodes. It said they had Carlos Spencer looking around one district of Paris and going, oh, yeah, this boulevard looks a bit like the main drag in Levin. Um, but it's actually pretty good. He's quite funny. And a lot of these players have spent a lot of time in France and played some of their rugby there and, and were quite knowledgeable. Not bad. And I think better than 
uh, Taika Waititi's Tour de Rugby, uh, which has been made for the new uh, New Zealand Rugby uh, online channel NZR Plus. Uh, yeah, not 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 as good. Not good. No, I mean Taika Waititi called it with tongue-in-cheek, um, the world's least informative travel show, but actually having watched a couple, that's fair. Um, he was right. Yeah, if you, <laughs> if you like Tyker's style of um, of uh, sort of casually mispronouncing things and goofing around, you might find it funny. It's it's just, I guess, not not for me, but it's it's a bit loose, and uh, a lot of effort, a lot of money's gone into it, but yeah, mm. not a great watch, really. Well, Tyker also made the news, what he was commenting on, people giving the All Blacks a hard time over their their defeat to France on Saturday. Yeah, so News Hub at Six made news out of this. Um, This uh, actually came in a report from the Europe correspondent, Lisette Raymer. A plea from a man who knows a thing or two about the pressure of pleasing the masses. It's easy to sit on the couch and uh, judge someone. It's like, uh, uh, sorry, but are you an All Black? Have you been an All Black? Uh, No, so jar up. Prominent Kiwis telling rugby fans not to criticise the All Blacks and shut up. That maybe uh, may rub people up the yeah, wrong way. Yeah, I think that's definitely a risky thing to do. Especially, you know, the media know there's heaps of engagement uh, to be had and you know, angsting about the All Blacks and who might be to blame yeah. and their underperformance and uh, what what's gone wrong. But um, also, Lisa Raymer didn't mention that that new show. Uh, I mean, that that news piece was a bit of a puff piece for him and the show, and it's all part of the rugby union's own platform, that NZR Plus mm-hmm. uh, enterprise. So effectively. Taika Waititi there is, you know, doing the PR for the All Blacks employers and the keepers of the brand. Um, he also talked about, I think this is also risky for any uh, Kiwi public figure, to, he talked about tall poppy syndrome at the end of that report. And uh, I'll play a bit of it now, but the thing to listen out for, it took me by surprise, but it was a rather interesting sort of unscripted little comment, brief comment by the News Hub presenter that night, uh, Orini Kaipara, uh, when they switched back to the studio. Have a listen. You know what Kiwis are like. You can never please us. You can never please people back home. That's what I've learned. And, you know, tall poppy syndrome is, a, is the real deal. And um, But I do not engage in that because um, no, no matter what, I support the All Blacks, um, win or lose. With Captain Kane out for now, Waititi is backing Adi Savia to see the boys through. Who's stronger, Thor or Adi Savia? Adi. No question. No question. Wellington. All the all the all the muscle men come from Wellington. Ready to watch the All Blacks Pow. throw down the hammer in Paris. Lisa Raymond, News Hub. I don't know. <laughs> so there is we switch back to Stu. Already but I had this sort of uh, yeah, frown on. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. And I'm wondering, was she was she reacting there to his claim that Wellingtons Wellingtonians were the hard men uh, of, of, of New Zealand, or was it that tall poppy stuff? Because I don't think. People who are tall poppies, really, and prominent citizens talking about tall poppy syndrome uh, and this failing of the rest of us who mm. are not tall poppies, uh, I, don't, I don't think that goes down particularly well. So I, I just wonder quite what it... Because you don't usually hear the news anchors no. or see them react at all. So, yeah, interesting that. But exactly. to, to me, that's how I felt about that whole report on Taika. I was, mm, yeah, I don't know. Not for me. Yeah, nah, I would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, one thing that must have changed the RWC or the Rugby World Cup mood in France, um, of course, this awful uh, earthquake in Morocco uh, and, of course, even Libya today with the flooding. Oh, my goodness. There are millions of Moroccan-born and descended people living in France. Yes, yeah. So uh, that surely has had an effect on the mood. 
I kind of hesitate to do this because any disaster that happens that's not in a heavily kind of mediated country or part of the Anglosphere or, you know, well covered by British American TV, we don't, mm. uh, media outlets, we don't tend to hear as much about. Um, but, you know, Morocco is not all that far from Europe. Um, it is connected to via France with that colonial era as well. Um, I just, yeah, I think we would be hearing a lot more about it if it was within U- Europe. Um, but it's interesting, I've been watching the Al Jazeera coverage. That channel is free to view on Freeview. I don't know what the licensing arrangement is. Just before we came on air, I was watching, they've got a, an English reporter, Jonah Hull, who's been doing incredible and very, um, you know, sounds a bit crass, but very televisual, very produced reports that are quite, eye-catching mm. uh, and obviously this is a, a tragedy above all other things but he is creating some brilliant reporting and it's, it's a shame we're not seeing that uh, on our TV networks if it was possible to screen that or, or you know crossing mm. to their reporters they've got a lot of reporters who speak Arabic or um, or French uh, which are both spoken there even the Berber languages and the Atlas Mountains there where it struck I wish we were seeing a bit more of that because it is better and I don't mean to pick on TVNZ here but last night just happened to be watching one news 20 minutes into the news was the first time they mentioned Morocco and the Libya floods, which at that point had had just begun. Um, straight after it, um, stories on those two tragedies was a, a report of pretty much equivalent length, about two minutes on, all about that single American mm-hmm. caver who was rescued in Turkey. And obviously that happened before the floods hit. It's just a coincidence. But the juxtaposition of those two things, you know, one American rescued yeah. from underground whilst, you know, people were trapped underground and in buildings in Morocco. Bit of an awful contrast, that problem. In defence of that, the only thing I'd say, I think I totally agree with you, um, but uh, the, the nature of the rescue being such a tricky thing to do. Yeah, of course, they are different stories and comparing the two things is just but wrong one, to do that what about of, yes, of, yes. of, you know, it's not a, a sort of calculus of suffering or whatever. And one thing was underway be- before the others. Different stories, but it's just yeah. awkward. You see, like, a hastily assembled rescue team, people from all countries, jackets yeah. of international locations at the scene in Turkey. And, you know, these are people who were not able to be, you know, in Morocco, rescue, or, you yeah. know, or could be scrambled, could, could clearly be used there. Just the juxtaposition of it yeah, was. And, uh, and, and the father in Morocco having to use his hands to mm. dig out the soil to try and find his family beneath, you know, yeah. I mean, just, just tragic. That's yeah. horrible, yeah. Now, um, dogs on a plane and also dogs on buses and trains. Uh, this got the, our audience going a bit the other night as well. I'll bet. Yeah. Because <laughs> you remember on Midweek Media Watch a while back, you were talking to um, Hayden yeah. about a scoop in Wellington's paper, The Post, which said the mayor had a do- had dog in the office and shouldn't have, yeah. and she had to not stop taking it to work in the end. I remember you talking about it. And, and you were. Right, you were you and thought, fair enough, too. She shouldn't that, take a bloody dog to work. Yeah, I'm afraid that <laughs> I have unpopular views about pets, which we don't need to go into too much. But one day I think I might be vindicated. But it was something to bear in mind. Yeah, Stuff uh, did a story. Um, <laughs> after, after it was, uh, <clears throat> so their headline, couple want refund after being oh. sat next to snorting, farting dog on oh, Singapore yeah. Airlines flight. So this story has gone well and truly uh, across the media here and overseas. But on uh, the local Wellington morning show here on ZB, uh, Nick Mills, the local host, had this uh, harrowing account of that 13-hour flight from one of that couple that had to suffer this. This was uh, Warren Press. So every now and again, uh, the dog would emit a smell and he'd get this card out and fan the dog. And um, that was all good while he was awake. But when he went to sleep, 
we were just about gassed out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm laughing. Laugh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm trying not to laugh, but it is. It's so, almost comical, um, isn't it? And then um, later on, I, the dog coughed, and I felt this glob hit my leg. And I said to my wife, "I think we're out of here." Sure, I would be too. So, Mark, that story's gone well and truly global. In fact, I, I looked it up. It was on a Fox News website, which does that thing where it auto-plays a video as soon as you go to it. And they've just done what news sites often do, is just attach some tangentially related video. Yeah. So this was actually one of, uh, recently a flight to the Philippines had terrible turbulence, and people shot cell phone video on the inside of the plane of people absolutely screaming and freaking out. Oh, so I'm gosh. reading their headline, you know, couple livid after sitting next to farting dog on a 13-hour flight. <laughs> And then this video kicks in, people absolutely screaming, terrified, and thinking, hang on, this can't be in reaction to the dog. But um, some of the best journalism here, Britain's worst tabloid, The Daily Star, they had to fit it in one of those side columns. We can only use short words. Their headline was, dog fart jet hell. So it's like some sort of wordle wordle puzzle gone wrong yeah well knowing what dogs are capable of i kind of understand but i I, what the hell's a dog apart from a guide dog what's a dog doing sitting in a seat next to you anyway for goodness sake i I don't agree with that but Mm. there we go doesn't sound too pleasant obviously a horrible long-haul flight for those uh, those people but not the same as a short bus or a train trip in auckland is it no, I mean, people like me certainly wouldn't like being sat next to a dog, whatever, but I guess the universe doesn't revolve around my feelings, so uh, that's fine. But um, another thing is I thought, uh, it just reminded me of something I saw on the project on TV3, because this is an extra burden for bus drivers. They're going to have to deal with people getting on with their dogs and then having to deal maybe with people like me that want to have a tanty about it. Um, mm. If the pets behave, it's fine. If they don't, whatever. So I thought, oh, it's a rough one on the drivers. No one ever thinks of them. But coincidentally, last Wednesday, just before you did Midweek with Hayden, um, I watched Guy Williams on TV3's The Project, and they were doing a bit about whether people still say thank you to the driver mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and whether that's going in and out of fashion. But they had this really striking uh, interview with um, an Auckland transport bus driver. His name was Vave Marcelia. He was at Siddhant sat at the wheel of his bus while being interviewed. It must Mm. be a bit awkward having a cat, but he was so uh, chilled out. He was very cool uh, answering all the questions. At one point, um, Mark Richardson, uh, the project host, asked him, do you get angry at people that, you know, goof around, press the button, but then don't get off the bus? Anger? Uh, (laughs) One or two times, uh, you just ignore it. Third time, uh, it's kind of like... does somebody want to get off the bus? <laughs> you know, it's like, um, it's not a game. Vave, you're so zen for a bus driver. I can imagine it's a high-pressure stress position. I love how level you are. Uh, yeah, it is very high stress level. But um, <laughs> at the same time, I love driving. Hey, he does sound a great character. Yeah, he was really cool, and you don't don't often um, see that. So, seeing yeah. as they had him in and he was a good talker, they kept them on for quite a while. Just to, and uh, yeah, I think it would be really awkward having a camera right in your face while you're actually at the, at the wheel of the vehicle you usually drive. I think that yeah. would have been quite uh, unsettling. But he he handled it. Um, give him his own show. I say always always thank the driver. Yeah, always I always do. thank the driver. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, D, what the what the heck's happening in Dunedin? The, the DCC, the Dunedin City Council. 
the yeah. ructions there. So l- this is the latest place where there's yeah. uh, local government dramas, I guess. You know, seem to be settling things in Gore, but now it's going yeah. off in Dunedin. So um, this is the deputy mayor has decided she doesn't want to be deputy mayor anymore, can't get on with the actual mayor, who was a, a new mayor, elected Jules Radich last time round. But the way the way the media has reported this kind of got me interested. So um, the stuff... Newspaper chain doesn't have a paper in Dunedin, but its correspondent, Hamish McNeely, is very active. And he also goes to the trouble of doing a weekly news digest of his own, uh, a thing he calls the, the Mish, named after him, Hamish, I guess, on the Substack platform for people who subscribe. And it's really good. And sometimes he lifts the curtain a little on how stories came to be. So usually he puts that out on Wednesdays. Um, But he had to report late on Wednesday night, about 10pm, the news happened that uh, Sophie Barker resigned as the deputy. So he reported that for stuff, then put out a special little substack thing, which I got immediately on the email, which was actually the first uh, point that I I saw it. And then he did a a follow-up on Tuesday, uh, edition of the his personal newsletter thing, after a council meeting discussing it also. Good on So the councillor who made the offending racist uh, remark, I think it was at a restaurant, wasn't it? Was Hamish all over that story as well? Yes, yeah, this is what caused it. It was uh, this guy, Barry Williams, he's the chair of the Strathtiety Community Board, so a member of the council. So this is actually some time ago, yes, he'd made a, a remark uh, to someone in a, a pub worker in Middlemarch. Mm. Um, and of course the ODT, I should say, the Otago Daily Times, I haven't mentioned, they covered this story as well, mm. uh, pretty fully. And in, in fact, um, when uh, the, uh, they had an independent investigation into the, a code of conduct uh, thing for this council of Barry Williams about what to do, but it was all discussed behind closed doors. And in Hamish's uh, newsletter, The Mish, he said a special thanks to my tipster who told me to keep an eye on uh, a code of conduct hearing being held behind closed doors, and he'd just seen it on the agenda, so followed up, followed up on it. That One of Sophie Barker's objections that the mayor had tried to play down mm. Barry Williams' conduct, he gave an interview with RNZ where he said, oh, we think we've sorted it out, it's not that big a deal. But so him giving interviews to the media and saying things that she and possibly other the councillors didn't agree to became a part mm-hmm. of the issue and you know Hamish kind of explained it quite well in his newsletter and in his, his stuff reporting. Mm-hmm. Was uh, the council trying to keep a lid on it do you think? Keep it out of the media eye by going in camera? Well possibly they might have had to reveal all that anyway after they you know had the, the confidential meetings in which people would speak more frankly. That might be the reason I'm not quite sure of the whole mm. procedure. But interestingly, having revealed it, Hamish revealed, you know, he's had a bit of pushback on this from local people. And so did RNZ's, uh, RNZ's Tess Brunton. She went mm-hmm. up to Middlemarch, talked to people, found quite a bit of support for Barry Williams. But, um, you know, Hamish said, yeah, I've had uh, particularly one guy said, uh, I've, ha- I've had this from an Auckland businessman called John. Yes, I looked you up, John. Have you got no news to generate? The mayor of Auckland is spot on referring to all you as Drongo Media. I don't understand how a community board chair calling a hotel walker- worker a stupid black bee dot, 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 and a packed pub is not news. I guess I'm a Drongo. But another thing from that that John doesn't seem to get is... Um, the double negative, because the way he wrote that there doesn't quite make sense. There are too many knots in his sentence. <laughs> Another Dean publication caught your eye this week as well, I see. The Otago University uh, Weekly Student Mag critic, Te Arohi, uh, its politics or election issue was out this weekend. Some good stuff in it. Um, good mix of, you know, actual serious info, but also some quite funny stuff. A very funny election bingo uh, card, which students might put to use for games of their own design later on, maybe. But also this uh, thing that I, I looked at, a party election hoarding by number thing you know you design your own hoarding it's so funny and I can't now not look at 
an actual election hoarding and not see their design of just how basic uh, they are. Yeah. Uh, so really good. And by the way, you used a double negative there. So John, if you're listening, that's that's how you <laughs> that's what you mean. Do it. Yeah. And we've finally got round to the election campaign <laughs> latest. Uh, is it worth starting? Yeah, I'll do it briefly. So uh, what, it, what it was that uh, you know last time you spoke to Hayden I think um, Chris Hipkins had been kind of monstered by Jack Tamer but with some very awkward questions he was at it again this week and he also asked a pretty searching question of um, Tamari Party co-leader Rawiri Waititi you know he'd asked him about whether the national government might scrap a new Māori health authority and they was rather surprised by this reply. That's the problem with those types of parties national and act who want to see Māori die 7 to 10 years early, who want to see incarcerated. Oh, no, they absolutely, they absolutely, I because think, I, I think we have changed. to contest that. Uh, well, you can contest that, but you tell me where, where, where the data changes. You, 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 if you can point Follow to any, any, any statement from any MP who says they want, want Māori to die earlier. It's in their actions. And so not wanting to change the current system that has failed Māori for 183 years. Yeah, so that statement that those political parties want Māori to die, it had to be challenged. And then in the end, they went further. They actually gave the two parties, uh, Act and National, the right of reply on that. I don't think they really needed to do it, because I think Jack mm. Tame did a good job of pulling him up and making it clear that that was really hyperbole from uh, uh, Rauri Waititi there.